Let's cut through the mainstream financial advice out there. This is your quick financial tip from your rich uncle. Investors sent in their property list and we are going to figure out which ones to unload first based on my rules of return on equity. So for those of you guys who don't know what return on equity is, it is a metric that not a lot of investors go by, but I and a lot of other sophisticated investors monitor very closely as we're always pruning our investments. A big misnomer out there that people talk about a lot is buy and never sell, which um, I think is half true. Investors need to look at return on equity and figure out which assets to sell, refinance, or maybe use a HELOC on. Basically, you're trying to find your dead or lazy equity that's not doing anything. And we are going to go down this list. I'm going to show you how to do this in this little example. But um, like when you first buy a turnkey rental, you're making around 30% at least, I'm thinking. Uh, you can check my math here at simplepassivecashflow.com slash returns. And uh, I walked through a little whiteboard example showing everybody exactly how I come up with that with cash flow, mortgage pay down tax benefits, and any bit of appreciation. Let's go through this list right here and let me show you how you manipulate this uh, spreadsheet. Again, this is one of the cardinal sins that most investors make is they never sell and they have a huge equity position, which tends to happen over time, but they need to get that equity moving. One of the biggest mistakes I always hear is like, well, I'm cash flowing. It's like, well, yeah, you're cash flowing a lot, but your return on equity sucks. So you got to do something about it. So this investor is very smart. They realize that they need to get this equity working hard, certainly harder than them at their day job. And we're going to help them do that. So first formula I'm going to do here is, you know, just assuming this data is all right, the value of the property is in $1.1 million. What I'm going to do is I'm going to apply a 90% multiplier, just assuming that maybe this is just a little bit too high and to account for closing costs and commissions. From there, we are going to subtract the debt service. So they currently own $352,000 on this property. And that is how we come up with a rough estimate of how much lazy debt equity. So I'm going to cascade that down the spreadsheet. You can just cut and paste that down. And I'm just gonna sum this up to see how much of a problem we have here. <laughs> So about $2.3 million of equity. And on just kind of just wanted to see a high level what where we're at. Actually, I have to figure out the sum of the values of the property minus the sum of the loans. Of course, I'm missing out the commissions, but I just kind of want to see where we're at. So that's 2.8. So that's how much those loans and commissions and closing costs or the, not the loans, but the commission closing costs, or what I call friction costs, are taking out almost uh, half a million dollars right there. Maybe one day I'll be one of those douchey luxury real estate brokers and only work with clients selling two to three million dollar houses. Maybe I don't want to do that with my life. But anyway, figuring out, let me sum up the, this is the amount of equity and this is the amount of purchase price. So I'm going to go this number divided by this and currently they're right about on average 57% equity, which is not good. Uh, usually, you know, at full power, you're gonna be at 80%, just to typically the max leverage, but yeah, this is definitely getting to the side where, I mean, it's a good thing, you got a lot of equity, but it's a lot of debt equity. So next process is like, all right, figuring out which of these properties are we need to go first. 
So what I'm going to do is figure out what the how much money we're making. Money we are making per year. Let's just go by that. So on this first one, we make money with the rent. So that's the primary residence. Let me just start off with clear. This one's bringing in 5,000 bucks a month. And I'm also going to subtract these HOAs they put it down. And this is the reason why we don't like condos. So you always have to pay these things. I don't know exactly what this means by extra costs here. I'll just add subtracting in and I'll also subtract out the monthly mortgage payments. I would run these numbers a little bit differently, but you know, it's good enough for government work is what I say. I'm gonna, that is how much money they are making. I believe on a, it must be on a monthly basis. So let's multiply that by 12. So they're making 30 grand. So you want to take that. The return on equity is calculated by how much money you're making divided by how much equity you have in the deal. So if your denominator, which is the number on the bottom goes up, which in this case, it's the $475,000, this number gets smaller and smaller. So they're making about 7% on this property right now. That's not good. So as we cascade this stuff down, the return on equity on the primary residence is obviously zero because you're not making any money. You're probably losing money. That is a liability right there, not an asset. Some of these are probably actually losing money. But so here, here's kind of where the art comes into play. You can either look at it from perspective, all right, which property has the worst return on equity. So that is obviously this one and this one here. But we're humans and this is an art. So obviously like there's some utility to having a primary residence because that's where your, uh, your house resides and that's where you live. So maybe you don't want to sell that one first. Again, we're trying to find the order of operations. Order that we unload the sell or refi. The next thing I've kind of taken into account, secondly, after the return on equity is how much equity we're going to extract out of it. So if, you know, say this one, we're, we're losing the most amount of money. This is probably first on the chopping block, but because it's so small, it's not, may not be worth the effort. And likely what we want to do is we want to list multiple properties on the market and have the attitude of, you know, some of them were more in a hurry to sell. Some we might hold out for even better price. So the way I would do this, just kind of spot checking, this is the first time I've seen this. The first two that stick out in my head are this one. I just, I wanna highlight the lowest three from a return equity perspective, but I wanna highlight the big ones. Which ones are gonna really move the needle and that is which ones are the, the ones with the biggest bang for our buck, which is definitely these. So fortunately, there's no overlap here other than the primary residence. Obviously, the primary residence has probably have to go, but I don't want to upset mama there. So we're just going to leave that one alone. We've got plenty of equity to play with here. So there's no obvious winners which ones to put on the chopping block. But just kind of, I've done this about a gazillion times. And what I would recommend selling would be this one first. It may not be the lowest return on equity, but it's certainly a nice little pop there. Then I would sell this one. Then I would sell this one. Then I would sell this one, this one. These are all kind of the same. And then at some point, when the boss says, okay, I guess, or when you take maybe one of these rentals, take the money and buy a bigger house, right? That's, this is where you buy a mansion. You've done a good job up to this point. 
right? I mean, this is where people say, well, you know, you shouldn't buy all this like doodads or like expensive stuff, but man, like you earned it. You did a good job here. Go out and buy a big ass house for all I care. Next, what I'm looking at is, and I, I this is probably where we got to get the investor on the line. I don't know the full story on these properties. I don't know what all these are, to be honest. These duplexes and fourplexes, maybe stick on the market, owner occupied, now, even though I list them as five, knowing that these are, gonna, these are gonna be four times as hard to sell as these other single family homes. And this is why for higher net worth investors, I don't recommend getting a two to five unit. I just say, if, if you're gonna do single family homes, it's great because you have great exit strategy because as a high net worth investor, you're gonna go to syndications very quickly. So you don't wanna be screwing around with this stuff because the, the duplexes, the triplexes, the fourplexes, you're just send, selling it to another cheapskate investor who wants to find the deal and they're a pain. You're just gonna bang your head on the wall, especially when you get to one of these guys who are like, think that they're a pro, but they're just a, a douchebag who wants to retrade you for all these little nitpicky stuff. So I would list, even though I haven't listed as five, I'd probably list it like soon just and not be too motivated to sell it. Somebody wants to pay you a crazy price, cool. And that'd be my general consensus with all of these properties right here. Just put them all on the market, see what happens. But generally you're trying to go make them go at this order. This is really your motivation. Whereas what I'm saying like, well, these guys, they just want to sell it or they want a little bit of a price concession, dude, just do it. Whereas these other ones, you might want to stick to your guns or stick to your price that you think that it's valued at here. The other side of this is like, all right, where, as you start to extract this money out, this money right here, this $2.3 million, you can't, it's, it's going to be hard to invest that in the beginning, especially if you have no contacts, you don't know who to trust. What you basically are trying to do is build a deployment schedule right here. And I'm just doing it very simplistically. You know, you got 2020, 2021, 2022. For most investors under one to $2 million net worth, never done any rental properties, never syndication before, I would say, you know, stick to like a, a few deals at first, right? That's 50 grand minimums, you know, maybe deploy $200,000 in the first year. But after that, hold the horses a little bit, right? Pump the brakes. Of course, if you have, if your net worth is higher than that, four or $5 million plus this, uh, the other side of you got money sitting in the bank doing nothing, right? So you may want to push it a little bit harder, being a little bit more aggressive. You know, this is a just in time, uh, exercise here. You want to sell these assets and hot potato them into deals, uh, minimizing the hold period or the, the time it just sits in a bank, not doing anything. So I would imagine selling these properties probably in a period of two to three years. It's, it's taken a while. So I'm just going to run the rent to value ratios real quick on these properties. Because I, I probably should have done this earlier, but this also helps determine another way of determining which properties to bundle first. Actually, this one's the, probably the best right here. These other ones are well under 1%. Yeah, unload them. Should have unloaded them yesterday. People always ask like, well, I have a rental property in California. And I'm like, all right, stop right there. Rent to value ratios, California ain't going to work unless you're in a war zone. To get more nitty gritty here, it's, if it's under 1% rent to value ratio, unload it. Unload that thing. It's just not even worth it. Especially when a lot of, you know, other properties that we're buying are like, you know, one, well over 1% of the value ratios in growing markets with forced appreciation. So I guess for this client, this client is pretty high net worth. So I would probably make this deployment schedule a little bit aggressive. So assuming that they cash out half a million dollars every year on this, 
and sell all the assets by the time 2024 comes around. And I probably do something like, you know, 500 grand. That's you know, roughly kind of like the, how you would pace your deployment schedule. And this is where other more advanced concepts come into play, like, you know, to, to lower your liquidity, not making anything like infinite banking, which uses full life insurance and a tax-free vehicle. Yeah, this just shows an example on figuring out your return on equity. What are you trying to sell first? And then what are you trying to deploy it into? Another piece of this is where I help clients all the time and where I kind of empower people in the mastermind. And uh, you can learn more about that. It's com slash journey. But it's like, you know, you don't want to sell these assets. You got to be mindful where, number one, your adjusted gross income is. You don't want to be poking up into the next tax bracket. And guys, if you're under $200,000, $300,000 HEI, don't freak out about it. Most of my clients are well above that. That's when you have to seriously think about you know, being strategic on when you sell these assets and kind of take the, the capital gains slowly over time. And then also if you're, you know, you may be taking money out of your retirement accounts too. That's another thing to think about. So when you take money out of your retirement accounts, that also shows up as ordinary income. So another thing that's at play here is if you have a portfolio like this, you likely have a good amount of passive losses from the depreciation of these. But you also have to, you know, as I'm as going through this, it's, it's complicated, right? But it's just something, this is what I do, right? This is what I do for folks and I help them understand it so they can make their own game plan. But as they start to deploy into these deals, hopefully they're doing cost segregations in these deals where they're getting, you know, at least half of what they put in, you know, 200 grand, they load up 200 grand in deals and they probably should be getting more than $100,000 of passive losses, which they can add to their current passive loss uh, stock hold to then use to offset these capital gains when they do happen. So that's kind of getting three layers deep there, but these are the things to be aware of. And I think every investor needs to understand that. I don't think that this is a responsibility of your CPA. Like the CPA's job is to do your taxes for you, not plan this stuff. This is your job, guys. Family offices, 100 millionaire families and above, have people to do this for you. But look, when you're under uh, 10 million bucks, you got to do it all yourself. And unfortunately, most CPs out there just don't know how to do it because this, that's why the CPA has a day job. <laughs> Their net worth is not over one, two, three million dollars. They don't do this stuff. Uh, and that's where we can kind of help. But for a free freebie, go to simplepassivecashflow.com slash ROE to download a spreadsheet very similar to this that is more of a worksheet that you can plug your investments in and see where you have your lazy equity at to help you determine which properties to sell. What's the poop down here? What needs to go? It's an unlock sheet. So it's a spreadsheet you guys can have. Um, so you can, again, search out that debt equity and don't be an unsophisticated investor that just buys properties and holds it till it's paid off. I think that's one of the worst things you can do, especially from a, like a liability standpoint. I mean, if you have a paid off property, everybody knows where to see you. I'm not giving you tax any legal advice here in this whole video, but just giving you guys good information. And yeah, check out what we have to offer at simplepassivecashflow.com. See you guys later. Bye. Lane is not a lawyer CPA, but the dude did quit his engineering job and now owns thousands of rental properties. Learn more about the secrets of the wealthy. Join our community at thewealthelevator.com slash club. And if you're looking for a longer form podcast, also subscribe to the Wealth Elevator podcast.